You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? So, the week has been... Pretty dang on good, if I tell myself. I will say it started off good. You know, Harrison got sick at the end of the week. He was actually vomiting at the end of the week. I posted a picture of him sort of like wallowing around the house. I guess it was Thursday because he was actually vomiting. He vomited like six times. And I don't know what he got into. I think he must have eaten something, probably like an old like fry from the car seat or something. But he was vomiting quite a bit even water, but he kept wanting more and more water. So I'm like, well, at least he wants liquids. And finally, at the end of the night, he fell asleep. It wasn't the end of the night. It was like seven o'clock. He fell asleep. And then at midnight, he woke up and asked for water because we put him in the bed with us. He asked for water. He actually drank that water. He kept that down. And then the next morning, we gave him Ritz crackers and he kept that down. So then we gave him some more water and he kept that down. Then um, we were like, oh, let's feed him some soup, right? And he was like, I want it. He says, I want it when he means I don't want it. It was so, sort of weird, but he, like, I want it. So I'm like, okay, that means you don't want it. And I said, what do you want to eat? He said, bacon. So we made him bacon and he kept it down. So he had bacon and pancakes Friday. He kept that down and he act like nothing had happened. Like kids are so resilient. They're just like, nothing happened and then we brought him to the rodeo and uh which is like so the houston rodeo it's my first time going i didn't go to any performances and really the lineup isn't one that i was like oh i gotta go you know in the past there's been a lot of good performances and no knock to the performance this year but there's not a lot of like hip-hop or r&b um there's a lot more country in the lineup than there has ever been before so um, we weren't really interested in the concerts and we wouldn't have brought Harrison there anyway. So we wanted him to see some of the livestock and it's basically like a big state fair. So, you know, you get your smoked turkey leg, you get your, um, what do I usually get? What's that? That uh, funnel cake. Is it a funnel cake? Yep, a funnel cake. I got a funnel cake and we had a sausage on a stick. You know, you know how much we paid, Janine, for food? It was me. My mama, Harrison, and James. We each got a sausage on a bun, right? 
And we got Harrison a corn dog. And it's a long corn dog. I mean, it's like two feet long corn dog, right? And then fries. Two things of fries between the four of us. And we got drinks. How much do you think we paid at the Houston Rodeo to eat? How much? Like 40 bucks. 40 bucks for all four of us? That would mean that we paid $10 each. $10 each, right. Like you said, a hot dog, well, a sausage for each one of you, a corn dog, two fries. Okay, maybe 50 bucks. Maybe 50 bucks. Girl, we pay $114 for that. In the inflation? What? Correct. And literally it was like a drink because it's only like one size drink, right? Which is like, I guess like a 24 ounce. It's not a 32 ounce cup. It's like maybe like a 24 ounce cup. So there's one for all three adults. Harrison didn't get his own cup, but we got a bottle of water for him. And literally, I mean, we're sharing fries. The only extra thing we got was the funnel cake that we shared amongst us. $114. Mm. Girl. That's a reminder as to why I don't have kids. Listen, we only have one kid though. Even if we were taking out, the only thing we ordered extra for him was a corn dog. That's a lot. But would you have gone to the rodeo if you didn't have Harrison? Yes, because I would have wanted to see it. Because I've never been. I would have wanted to go. And it's just a big carnival, right? So Harrison got on the kitty rides. Johnny, you should have seen me on this uh, the kitty bumper cars. There, there's a sign there that says, if you're this tall, you can ride, but you have to have a supervisor on, right? If you're this tall, you can ride by yourself, right? So of course, Harrison got to the this tall mark. So we stand in line. I'm a supervisor. Go with Crunch in their bumper cars like sardines. Crunched in there. I'm smushing my baby in the bumper car. Hold on a second. So at first, when you first started telling the story, I thought that you were going to say that you didn't make the height requirement. And I was trying really hard not to like I was trying to figure out how I was going to not laugh. Right. Because that would have been rude. And then when you said you were squishing the bumper cars, I was like, OK, like I took a sigh of relief because I really thought that you were about to say you're, you got all the way up there and they were like, no, 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 you have to be taller. That's what I thought you were about to say. Very funny, Johnny. No. I did. You were like, it said you had to be this tall and then you had to be this tall. And I thought that you were going to get up to the front and they were going to be like, you can't be the supervisor because you're little too. Shut up, Johnny. Of course I wasn't going to say that. Now there was one that had a weight requirement and between me and Harrison, we had to be, we had to be under 160 pounds. Well, I'm, I'm about that by myself, you know? So, so say. I looked at that sign. I was like, baby, we can't get on this one. No, no poopy. We got to go to the next one. 160 pounds weight required. What kind of ride was it? Like a swing or something? Like what? Was it? it was like a little boat. It's like a little log boat. And there's like a river that you ride around and it takes you really slowly up this little hill. And it, the hill is like as high as my bed. It's not a big hill. And then you go down, you plunge, you plunge down and you go back around a few times and then you get off. So apparently that ride had broken down several times and they were enforcing the weight requirement. And so I was like, yeah, I can't do that. Like, I'm not going to push this. We're not about to squeeze in here. And say that we weigh 160 pounds together, knowing that I'm 160 by myself. Harrison is like 28 pounds. Like, we're not about to like drown in the log river. <laughs> I'm sure there's some leeway, but I agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't test it. Not, not for a carnival. If it was like a stationary situation, like you were at an amusement park, then maybe, but not at a carnival. Those things are like, I always think they're just like thrown together and they don't take enough time to like secure them. So. Now, between the three of us, we each got on 
meaning me, my mom, and James. We each got on rides with Harrison, okay? So, but all the little bitty rides, I felt like I squeezed. And mind you, I did post some of these pictures on Harrison's social media, and there's different pictures on my social media, but you notice that none of the pictures have me in a ride. (laughs) Girl, because I look like a marshmallow squeezed in, like, all those tiny rides. Mm. Did you put pictures of James and your mom on rides with Harrison? I put pictures of my mom, yes, but James didn't want any pictures of him on rides either. (laughs) So we don't have any pictures of ourselves on the rides. See how y'all do, Miss Lisa? I'm going to tell her. She knows she was sitting comfortably with him. We were the only people with our legs up or our leg, one leg crossed to get in stuff. No, not about to, it's not flattering. Is your mom shorter than you? Mm -mm. She's an inch, she's two inches taller than me. Oh, okay. She's 5'1". So what did you do this week, Johnny? I worked. I worked a lot. I feel like I'm just starting to get the like rhythm together. You know how when you start something and you're like, it's still new. So you just kind of work, 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 work. Well, I feel like I'm just getting into like a great rhythm. And part of it is because my best friend got me the remarkable tablet. Remember, I was trying to figure out like, what did I want to do? Did I want to use my iPad? Did I want to stick with a paper planner? Did I want to keep these notebooks? So I guess she got tired of me literally carrying around three, four or five notebooks. And she got me the remarkable planner. And let me not it's not a planner. It's a remarkable tablet, right? And I was hesitant about getting another device. But let me tell you this. It is so worth it. And no, we are not getting paid for this. I'm not getting paid to talk about the Remarkable tablet. However, if someone from Remarkable is listening, I'm more than happy to do an endorsement because it's awesome, but I'm not getting paid to do this one. But it is literally everything that you would expect it to be. I can write, I can change what kind of pen I'm writing with, even though it's the same exact device, like the actual pen itself is the exact same device. I can change what the writing is. Like, I think it gives you ballpoint pen, pencil, highlighter, I think even like calligraphy. It's awesome. And it helps me because I don't have to carry around a bunch of notebooks. I literally can just push another button. It's another notebook, another folder, another quick note. Super simple. I don't have to search for where did I put it. I can just look at the titles, look at the folders. It's so much easier. It is so much easier. Best thing ever, Nicole. And I know that you're a paper planner person, but with Remarkable, you would love it because it still feels like you're writing on paper and you don't have to keep on, you know, thumbing through like this. It's amazing. How is that different than like OneNote? You know, how you can put tabs. It actually is compatible with OneNote. So it syncs. Like I can either do it just like literally on the physical device itself, or I can connect it with my OneNote, which is why I thought that this was, remember when I was talking to you about this before, I was like, well, if I do it on my iPad, I can do the OneNote, but writing on an iPad screen is really just interesting. It's different. Like, don't get me wrong. I still write on my iPad, right? But it's very, very different because it's a different feeling and it doesn't have that backlight like the iPad. This is just like, I don't know how to describe it to you. I have to show it to you. But basically, it looks like white paper. It, you can make lines. You can make it a, a grid if you want. It has a bunch of different templates that you can write within. It's, it's perfect. You just have to try it. It's amazing. 
You know, it's funny because I bought James a smart notebook. I don't know if it's the same thing. Um, and I have one, two of them, just yet to open the box. What are you waiting on? Again, I don't want to have to use something different. <laughs> just, you know, I'm good with the tried and true. If you are going to migrate over, this is the way to do it. Yeah, maybe I'll switch over uh, one day because uh, at least try the ones I already have in the closet. You should. Please. I know. I, I need to. And it's funny because, you know, I write all the, oh, that's deep stuff in this, in the notebook. Cause it's the second notebook that I have, but all the pregnancy pearl stuff is typed. Cause I got to send it to you. It's like, I know I have to send it to you. So I have to type it. Well, you could write it all out and then make it turn into type and send it over to me. It would be so much easier, right? Hmm. I have to try it out. I have to try it out trying to tell you my best friend is amazing she is super amazing and i love her for a myriad of reasons right but this thing that she got me oh best thing ever remarkable we forgot to tell the people about our article oh yeah okay you can tell it okay so we are listed on uh in a blavity article by friend of the podcast leslie d rose and the title of the article is called a podcast for black women, by black women. So we posted that on our Instagram page and we also posted on Facebook. So go ahead and check out the article. And big ups to all of the other podcasters who made Leslie's list in the article. Yeah, we're with some really dope podcasts like Therapy for Black Girls. That podcast is like the pinnacle of black girl podcasts. So it's kind of dope that we made the list. Like there, there are a bunch of other amazing ones too, like Slay Girl Slay and Black Girl Nerds, who we actually follow already. So they're pretty dope. You should check them all out. We probably follow almost all of these. Becoming Her is really good. I actually listened to that. That's a really good podcast. So check out all the other podcasts and uh, check out the article. And I mean, we were like kids and kids. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> shooting the article to all my friends and family. I was like, we made it. Mom, we made it. Yeah, literally I did the same thing. Asia sent it to me and I was like, oh, super dope. Thanks. But yeah, thank, shout out to Asia who has been a guest on the podcast who let us know. But it was super dope. I was actually really excited. And thank you, Leslie. And thank you, Blavity. It's an honor. All right. What's on your timeline? Okay, Nicole. So we are literally barely out of Black History Month. I think we're a week past Black History Month. And we are back at the fight again. Like, I feel like we can't catch a break. But not that we actually really stopped fighting, but let, let me take you to this fight. So this fight is a little bit different, peculiar, if you will. And the fight seems to be against Amazon. And I say seems to be because I am working through this idea as I worked through the research for this particular podcast episode. So let me say this. I used some San Francisco Chronicle articles um, there was a news story on News 12, the Bronx, and 13WREX. So that and some basic Google searching. So here we go. The leaders of the social justice organization, the Crisis Action Center in Brooklyn, are calling on Amazon to stop its merchants from selling, and this is literally the name of it, the white privilege cards. So yes. You heard me correctly. The name of these cards are called white privilege cards. 
when I first heard about this, I thought that they were, it was some sort of like game, right? But then when I saw them, I kind of understood. So these cards are designed to look like a credit card and they are white in color and they're being sold in packs of five, 10 and 15 on Amazon. The card says, and this is what is actually printed on the card, white privilege card. And then it says underneath of that is if it's a subtitle trumps everything. And then it says member since birth, good through death. And it has the cardholder's name listed as Scott Free, as in Scott is the first name, Free is the last name. It has a WP in the corner standing for right, white privilege, and it's in the bottom corner where you would normally see like a Visa, MasterCard, American Express logo, right? And ironically, or not so ironically, intentionally, I should say, the card numbers are 0045-0045 repeated until we've reached the 16 numbers that would normally be on a credit card. And the reason why I say that that's ironic is because it's essentially saying the number of the card is 45, which was also the number of Trump's presidency. So there are several variations of this actual card, right? Some of the cards look a little bit different. They kind of favor more of the setup of an American Express card. And some of the cards are what we would consider platinum, but they're called the Silver Spoon Edition. On the back of the card, it says this. This card grants the bearer happiness and success because it's the color of your skin and not the choices you make that determine your ability to be successful. So activists are saying that they reached out to Amazon, but they haven't received any response, but they're asking that Amazon essentially ban this card from being sold on their platform. So as you know, Amazon doesn't really own the merchandise that's on their platform. It's sold by merchants. Amazon is just the platform that's used. Amazon didn't respond, but the organization or the activists have filed an official complaint with the New York City Commission of Human Rights. So these cards are listed on Amazon by several different merchants, and they come at varying price points, and they come with some varying ratings. So some people only have one or two stars, and a lot of people have four or five stars. Some people are outraged, you know, like the leaders of this crisis action network, and others are pointing to the fact that it's in fact listed as a gag or prank gift, and there's no actual meaning to a gift like this. So some people are just brushing this off as basic ignorance, and others are completely outraged. Initially, I felt like, yes, this card was in poor taste, but didn't really think much else past that, to be very honest. I agree, yes, it was in extremely poor taste, but I thought it was a gag gift, and most gag gifts are in poor taste. But one of the reasons why I kind of just didn't really think much more of it is because there is also an official race card. And I take it that this is the antithesis of this white privilege card, right? So this official race card is very similar to the white privilege card, except it's black in color. And it says at the top, official race card. And as opposed to it saying Trump's everything, it says 100% oppressed. 
And its numbers are 1865, the year of Juneteenth, repeated until we reach the 16 numbers, like the 45 was repeated on the white privilege card. And it has the same membership from birth till death, and the cardholder's name is just a tad different. The cardholder's name on the race card is listed as Scott Freeman. This is when I kind of started feeling like this is more than just poor taste and felt like it was just something that we needed to address. The back of the card reads this. This card grants the holder the power to make false claims of racism, to win debates, arguments, and claims of oppression, to look less stupid, claim future reparations payments, avoid punishment or jail time, And then it says the bearer of this card is granted privileges and entitlement above and beyond what white people have and those already granted by the U.S. Constitution. Again, I felt that this was distasteful, a little bit more ignorant. This one is the one that offended me. Not so much the white privilege card, but again, I can't say one is racist without saying that the other is. So I didn't necessarily understand the level of outrage that people were putting behind this as I felt that it kind of more reflected the people selling it and the people who are buying it. And I didn't really think it was like a whole issue for society because there are a bunch of other things that are sold like blue lives matter shirts and all of the other like anti black lives matter paraphernalia. I didn't see it as any different until I did some more research for this episode. And then I read an article about a story that came out of Jackson County, Illinois, where a sixth grader, a sixth grade boy specifically, received a white privilege card from another student in school, which of course sparked conversation about race and the school had to address it. So this is when I realized, now granted, I knew that it was an issue. So please, I don't think that I'm saying that I felt like it was excused. I knew it was an issue. I just didn't realize how big of an issue it was. But this, at this point, is when I realized that this seemingly harmless, trivial card that really means nothing quickly became something that became traumatic and detrimental to a kid, right? So obviously, now I've learned, as if I didn't already know, but it's now come to the forefront of my mind, that when anything seemingly harmless, is placed in the wrong hands, it becomes an issue. So thankfully, the school sprung into action and used the situation as a teaching moment and held conversations with the students. And they were very intentional and actionable with this situation. And rather than, you know, sometimes when schools address these kind of things, they make some statement and it's kind of performative. This particular school took this seriously. And they said, look, we're going to have conversations with all of the students, not just the sixth graders, not just this particular class, but all of the students. And they had a conversation, a meaningful conversation to help the kids understand why this is something that is a problem. So while the the school did a great job of handling this incident, it is something that could have been avoided if these cards weren't for sale, right? But who's to blame? Is it Amazon? Well, while I understand that Amazon is probably the easiest entity to go after because they're such a huge e-commerce giant, 
Their sellers are allowed to sell other things that are very similar. So why pick this to go after them? And they're not the only big platform that allows their sellers to sell these these cards. These cards are also on sale on eBay, Wish, Redbubble, Macari, and Etsy. And on Etsy, you can even personalize the cards, which let me tell you something, super disappointing. But again, how are you supposed to police all of your vendors or all of your merchants to not sell anything that's offensive to anyone? Now, am I defending these cards? By no stretch of the imagination. But where do you start, right? There's even an independent website that is by Joel Patrick. I think it's Joel Patrick's personal website. He's a black man, by the way, that also sells these cards, right? So even if we say, okay, Amazon can stop selling these cards, the people who are manufacturing these cards, they're going to find a way to sell them. So how do we combat this? At the merchant level, at the manufacturer level, at the point of purchase? Like, how do we do it? That's the thing that I've been pondering with since I first heard about this, right? I think that these cards kind of reflect the racism and hate that, you know, we've talked about this before, that's kind of ingrained in the fabric of our culture. You know, we have this tendency to vehemently deny that we're, that our country is racist. But this is the kind of thing that reminds us just how racist our country is. We can't deny how far we've come. But since 1865, there are some things that haven't changed, like the fact that there are some white supremacists out here that really do truly believe that carrying around a white privilege card is just um, a token of exactly how they feel. We've we've come a bit away, but I think we have a lot more fighting to do. And these little things are little teeny reminders that we still need to fight. What do you think, Nicole? I think that having read the article about the race card in the school, not race card, the white privilege card in the school, and then finding out about the race card and the white privilege cards a little further, I think that, yeah, the cards are meant to be racist and we do have a long way to go. But at the same time, I think that if the white privilege card was made by white people, and the race car was made by black people, then it would be like, oh, it's all fun and games. But it's obvious to me that the white privilege car was made by white people and the race car was also made by white people because the race car, pulling the race car sort of diminishes racism. It's like, oh, I said this racist thing, but you know, why you got to play the race car? So it's like, oh, you're going to go there. I, like I said this thing, it was wrong. But when you call me out, I'm going to say everybody's always pulling the race card, knowing that I said some some racist stuff. So the race card is, in fact, downplaying racism, whereas the white privilege card is upplaying white privilege. So they're not equal playing cards. That's the thing that disturbs me because- a white person pulling out a white privilege card, it it's true. It's almost like, oh, you know your you know your history, you know the truth. And I, I feel like people, when I heard about the article, before I knew about the race card, I was thinking, that really doesn't offend me so much because I'm like, well, at least they know they have white privilege. At least they know it. And we're trying to shun this, but it doesn't change the fact that white privilege exists. I mean, I think that. Caucasian people don't like being told that they have white privilege, but they do. And, and there's, it's not a bad thing to have white privilege. It's bad because it, you, you, you have to admit that 
you are not treated the same as other black people, but that is how society is right now. And that means that white privilege actually does exist. Now, the question is, when people pull the race card, why do you belittle racism if you believe white privilege does exist? So you can't say we're pulling the race card if you acknowledge that white privilege exists. I think that's my issue with having both cards. And that's how the white privilege card got turned into something very racist when it could have been something that was very educational in saying, hey, I understand that I have white privilege and I need to do what I need to do to make sure that equity is held upheld uh, in whatever I do. Uh, instead of trying to uphold equity, then it's like, oh, there's no there's no difference between how I was treated and how you were treated. That is not true. We all know that. We all know that. And we all, all also know that just being treated equally does not mean you're being treated equitably. They're two different things. So, um, so yeah, that's my issue with the white privilege card. And I hope that these school officials, when they had conversations with these students about the white privilege card, they addressed the fact that white privilege exists, but that we don't need to just acknowledge it. We need to take steps to make white privilege over time not exist and in terms of everybody getting on an equal playing field. But uh, I doubt they went that deep with these middle school students. The students and their parents seem to be happy with the way that it was handled. I think having a conversation about race and racism is good. And because they address that, everybody's like, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. But realistically, having a conversation about race and racism and saying hatred exists and there are people out there that hate people because of the color of their skin, that's a real thing. But then also having a deeper conversation and saying, but white privilege is not racism. But how do you have that deep of conversation? I know that it's challenging to have that kind of conversation with adults because they don't quite understand sometimes. If you're not in the DEI space, oftentimes it's difficult to conceptualize these kinds of things or to actually articulate what you're trying to say and differentiate between racism and fact about the different privilege levels within our society. Explaining that to a sixth grader, it seems like it would be a, a lot more challenging. But that's why I say I doubt they had that conversation about privilege, okay? Because the conversation would need to be to their parents about privilege, white privilege, bias, unconscious bias, stereotypes, like those type of conversations need to be had at the parental level so they can continue to educate their kids at home. Because you got, you're right, to a middle school student, it's going to be hard to explain how somebody acknowledging the fact that they have white privilege and how that is not a good thing per se, but it is just what it is and how that having that doesn't make them racist. Okay. It is a hard conversation to have, but I think that parents need to be on the same page and parents need to continue to educate their kids so that when these conversations are introduced in high school and in college, it's not the first time they're hearing these types of conversations. But I digress, girl. No, I agree. This card is about as useful as Monopoly money, but people are actually carrying these around, not in, as a prank, like if you read some of the reviews in the Amazon listings, people say that they're handing these out to their friends and they're carrying them around. So this kind of seems like a badge of honor, even though it's absolutely meaningless. Strange, to say the least, strange. 
none of that surprises me. All right, Janine. So you want to talk through some letters from our listeners? Let's do it. All right. So the first letter reads, Nicole and Janine, I'm a senior college student at Yale, where I will graduate in May with a degree in criminal justice. My plans are to go to law school. I've been accepted to several places, but I chose to attend Harvard Law. One of my white classmates also wanted to go to Harvard Law, but he didn't get accepted. So he plans to go back to UCLA Law instead, which is his home. One day on a rant, He told me that it wasn't fair that I got accepted with nearly the same grades as him, but he didn't get accepted. He told me that affirmative action gave me black privilege, and that's only gotten more favorable for me since the death of George Floyd. I was so upset that I became speechless and started crying. I guess he forgot that I'm a student body leader or that I made a 170 on the LSAT and he made a 149. For reference, 120 is the lowest, 180 is the highest. Yesterday, he sent me an email apologizing, but I'm not sure how to respond. This was one of my study partners for most of my classes over the last two years, who I considered a friend. How can I move forward and educate him about his white privilege? I'm really taking a deep breath because... I've experienced this almost literal exact same thing before, and I'm trying to remember how I felt outside of anger and frustration. Right now, there are a lot of white people, and please don't write me if you're white, because if you're listening to this podcast, it's very likely that you do not fit into this category, but I'm going to say this anyway. There are a lot of white people who have squandered their white privilege. And because they can't understand why there are black people who are doing better than they are, they like to blame it on affirmative action. Let me explain something. Affirmative action did not make an equal playing field. That's not what happened. Affirmative action was something that literally just helped. Didn't solve any problems. It didn't take any opportunities away from white people. It literally was just helping us get closer to the same starting point that our Caucasian counterparts were starting from. It did not get us to the same starting point. So the hard work and the effort and the LSAT and the years of schooling that you've been through at Yale and prior to Yale, that's what got you to get into Harvard Law, right? Not the fact that you're black. And I understand that it probably hurts because this person who was your study partner, your friend, your classmate, I mean, Yale is not but so big, right? So someone who you thought was safe has now shown you that they're not safe. I I would venture to believe that there are probably other white classmates that feel the same way. You cannot let that affect you. You know what kind of work you had to put in to get to this point. You know that you had to jump higher, work longer, put up with more. We all know what that's like. You cannot let these kinds of things get to you. He is probably not the first person, nor will he be the last person that uses affirmative action as an excuse as to why someone of col- a person of color is doing better than he is. It sounds like, Cindy, you haven't necessarily experienced this kind of racism before, but it's very common. 
especially the higher up you get. And Nicole, I would be interested to hear your stories as well going through medical school, but I just feel like the more we achieve specifically as black women, the more we experience these kinds of situations, you cannot let it get to you. When people show you their true colors, believe them. This is who he is at his core. Believe him. Now handle him with a long handled spoon and keep it moving. Yes, he was good for a study partner, but now we have to move on. He can't come to this next level with us. And he's shown to, shown us exactly who he is. So, Cindy, I'm sorry this happened to you, but it, I'm probably I'm pretty sure that this is not going to be the last time that this happens to you. What do you think, Nicole? I think that this is one that you have to sort of suck up. OK, you got to play the game. You're Yale. There's not a lot of people like you at Yale. You're going to Harvard Law. You're going to have people there that they wish that their cousin could have got into Harvard Law or somebody else they could have gotten into Harvard Law or they feel like somebody's rich enough that they should have gotten into Harvard Law and they're going to look at you and they're going to assume that you're there because of affirmative action. And all you can do is discreetly remind them of who you are. Okay, but don't get mad at them. I mean, the things that you do, he's apologized and you say, I completely accept your apology. Let's move forward. And at a later time, when you're discussing where you're going, you say, man, I had a 170 on my LSAT and I was nervous about getting in. You know, well, what do you make? I mean, there's ways to drop your scores discreetly, you know, without saying, don't forget that I made a 170, okay? Once, I mean, you know, 170 is out of 180, that's like gotta be like the 98th percentile, at least the 95th. I mean, that's, you can get into anywhere with that, okay? Of course, Harvard's gonna let you in. If he has an average score, because I'm looking 120 to 180, you know, average somewhere around 150 in the middle, right? So if he has an average score, he can't get mad if he gets accepted to a state school. And mind you, UCLA as a state school, I mean, it ain't a bad option, okay? Um, at the end of the day, if you are at an accredited law school, that is what matters. And he's going to a very good law school and you're going to a very good law school. And that's all that matters. Your experiences will probably be different. Your network will be different. You will have the Harvard network behind you, which is amazing. And he will have his school's network behind him. But at the end of the day, at least he can acknowledge that he was on a rant and he was wrong. Okay. Now, I'm a firm believer in drunk man don't tell no lies. So if he was drinking, he told you that he probably wasn't lying. If he was on a rant, he meant what he said. But at least he knows he should have checked his mouth and checked himself. And that's more than I can say for a lot of my personal colleagues. Okay. Because when you're in these, you know, programs, you know, masters, doctorate programs, you're going to meet people that think that they deserve more. Why? Because they were at the top of their class and they don't understand why all of a sudden they're considered average. Okay. You're going to get a lot of that, this entitlement that people have of all different races. You're going to get that. But the way you handle that is you handle it gracefully. And I, I will say this, let that be the last time somebody makes you cry. The very last time you don't give that, that anybody that much power. And if somebody upsets you, I mean, you're at Yale, you can't clap back, roll your neck and doing all this stuff. You, you can't do that. But what you can do is say, 
let me excuse myself. And you walk away because you don't need to let somebody have that much control over your emotions. And they honestly, if they're being disrespectful, they don't deserve your time either. You can say, you know, I don't have time for this right now and excuse yourself. Okay. He apologized. You acknowledge that he apologized and then you move forward and you can discreetly in other conversations talk about how amazing you are. But this, let this be a lesson to let you uplift yourself when you are in mixed company. There's a way that we have to subtly brag on ourselves to remind people who we are and to remind people that we deserve a spot at this table, not just because somebody gave us a chance because they're giving black people chances this week, but because, hey, I am great. Hey, I am a leader in these organizations. I did have this GPA. I do have this LSAT score or wherever you're going to school, if you're listening to this. You can suddenly let people know how great you are. And let's say you are there for affirmative action. Let's say you are there and you realize that the people around you did do better than you. It doesn't matter. All you can do is do the best that you can from that point on and move forward with excellence. Okay. That's all you can do. But this person, he needs to stay thinking he's your friend. At this point, he owe you, right? He showed himself. He owes you. But I would, I would keep my enemy close. That's what I would do. And I would graduate and I would go on about my business. Now, I wouldn't be calling and texting me later, but I wouldn't create more hassle for me before I graduated. That's my opinion. And that, those are the kind of circles I have to move around in terms of ignoring ignorant people because you're going to face them. I agree. Two things that you said, Nicole. One, I forgot that you were crying, Cindy. So Nicole is 100% right. If you have to go in the bathroom and get yourself together, do not let these people see. Don't let them realize that they shook you. Don't allow them that kind of headspace. And then number two, the thing that you said is you said that you would still be friends with him. Now, Nicole, you and I have had these conversations before on this very podcast. I like to get the people out of my space. I want you gone. I don't want you lingering around to talk about how affirmative action got me to where I'm going. I don't like the bad PR, right? Like, I don't like you trying to spin my narrative. I want you outside of my space. I understand the value of having, of maintaining that kind of relationship with someone who you know probably doesn't feel the way that they should about you. I get it. The whole keep your enemies close. But in situations like this, specifically in academia and work, instances, I'd rather you just go on, move on about your business and get out of my space. This is going to be a person that's around you forever. You're going to be involved in the alumni association. You're already a leader in the student body. You are going to see this person in the future. The professional networks are small. I mean, there are people that I went to med school with that were acting crazy that I thought to myself, I'm never going to see this person again. And you know what those people are doing now? Hey, we need a, a women's health advisor on our board. I mentioned your name. I thought you'd be great for that. Hey, we need somebody in the DEI space. I thought you'd be great for that. These are people that will eventually reach out. But I would say I, I am one that doesn't burn bridges. So for me, I'm going to say, keep it cool, be discreet and move forward. I wouldn't hee hee ha ha with them on the phone all day, but I would... I would move forward. And I will say this. If you think this person is really close to you, once you are over the hump, you can say, you know what? Can we have a conversation? I was, I, it really hurt my feelings when you said this. And 
that made me think that you didn't acknowledge the fact that I had a 170. And you can tell him. It made me think that you forgot that I'm a leader in this organization and that I had a 170. A one a Affirmative action can't get me a 170 on the LSAT. It can't. And you can say that and let him say, you know what? I was being a complete a-hole that day and I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And then you can say, lighten it up. You know, at that point, you lighten it up and say, yep, I know you were being a-hole. So I'm going to give you that you pass on that one this time. And you move forward because this person may be somebody down the line that you are in the same circles with professionally. I'd rather just let you stew on how you think I feel about it. Because he apologized, so he knows that he's wrong. I would just let you stew. And I probably would just be like, hey, you know what? Water under the bridge. We can move past it, but we're not about to be friends. That's just me. Cindy, I hope we helped you. Okay, so my letter reads, ladies, I've been meaning to write in ever since you all talked about the right age to teach kids about race and racism. I have some downtime at work today, so I decided while scrolling through IG that I would send you all a DM. Here goes. I'm very concerned that my 16-year-old granddaughter is confused about her identity. My family has roots in the bayou. I'm not sure what our exact heritage is, but we always assumed that we were Creole. We are very fair. My son, my granddaughter's father, is fair-skinned with green eyes. Her mother is white. And she has blonde hair with blue eyes. My granddaughter is blonde with green eyes. To look at her, she appears white. She is aware of the fact that she is black. She seems to play both sides, as most black people do. But for her, it's when it's convenient. When she's around her black friends, she dances to TikToks, uses slang, and I've even heard her say the N-word. When she's around her white friends, she code switches quick. But the one thing that I have noticed is that as she was completing her applications for her summer job, she always selected white. I want to talk to her about this, but I don't want to offend her. How do I bring this up to her without it sounding like I'm trying to get her to deny her white side? I've talked to my son about it but he doesn't think that there's an issue. Is this an issue or am I overreacting? Signed, Laverne. So, Laverne, what does Creole mean? And to me, Creole is just like a gumbo of different ethnicities. It's Caucasian, a little bit of Indian, a little black, a little bit of Jamaican. I mean, it's like a a melting pot uh, we don't know what you are, but we know that you have some African and, you know, Cajun ancestry mixed up with a splash of like plantation owner. Like, let's be, let's be clear. Like I'm from Louisiana. I can say that like my mom and her family call themselves Creole. And then my mom had me with a, a dark skinned man and now we brown. <laughs> okay. And, um, you know, one day my mom even told me like, man, if you were light skinned, like the rest of the Creole family, you would be really conceited. And I said, well, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? Um, does it mean that light got to be right? Cause I don't like that. Right. She had to check herself because she didn't realize what it was implying. It was implying that, man, if you were light, then that means that you could have been better 
for some reason, or you would have been prettier or you'd have been more conceited because you would have had a reason to be conceited. And I think that people don't really understand what exactly they say, but I do think that people that are Creole, like for me, it's easier for me to identify with blackness, right? But for somebody that's light, that may have different ethnicities in their in their background, they have to code switch, you know? And we even as black people code switch, I don't know any professional black person that does not code switch. So this is not about embracing more of her blackness versus whiteness. She's surviving. She's surviving. So let her do her. Let your granddaughter do her. She's surviving the best way she knows how. And if that means acting a little bit whiter with her white friends, like all the black people do with their white friends, it don't matter if you dark skinned or if you light skinned, you're going to code switch just a teeny bit around your white friends. Okay. At least until you feel comfortable in your own skin. And then when you're black, you TikTok it and gyrating and doing the things that your friends do. You're assimilating to your environment. That is something that every person does, not just your granddaughter because she's Creole and you're thinking, oh, you're Creole. So you're going to identify with the whiter side and code switch more towards the white people. She might identify with that population more. And I will say, uh, as somebody that did grow up with a whole bunch of Caucasian people around me, you do code switch until you feel comfortable. Now I'm done with school. I'm done with everything I need to do. So I'm going to talk how I want to talk when I want to talk how I want to talk in front of whomever, and they just have to deal with it. Because now I don't have to prove my education level. I don't have to prove that I can be quote unquote articulate. You know, we Caucasian people use that word and it's insulting. I don't have to prove that I'm the articulate type of black person anymore because I have my education behind me. I'm credentialed and I can act however I want to act. But when you're coming up, you're just trying to find your own way. And so you have to give her a pass and don't push her into one box or another. Because guess what, Grandma? We all code switching. If you're in this professional world, we are code switching. And I noticed that like even my mom doesn't code switch, right? Because she came up around all her family and she went to a black school. Like the school didn't become integrated until she was in high school, okay? So she didn't have to assimilate with anybody. So it's it's different now than maybe it was when you were growing up. So just let her find her way and she will grow into what makes her comfortable. I agree. I think that Laverne, not for nothing, but I, you didn't tell us how old you were, but based on your name, I think that you probably came up in a very different time than your granddaughter is coming up in. And to be very honest with you, I think she's smart. I mean, not for nothing, but Nicole just told you we all code switch. When I go to work, I don't speak in the same manner that I speak even on this podcast. So let's be very mindful that we code switch as a mechanism of survival, like Nicole said. It's not about denying a heritage. That's not what that is. That's so that we can get along further in life. That's just a coping mechanism. Like, I would be concerned if your granddaughter maybe didn't have any black friends or she wasn't able to code switch and she only preferred to say that she was white. You specifically use the job application. I'm assuming that she has a name that's probably not super ethnic. It's probably smart for her to use her white 
privilege in this situation to get a job. Why not use what's going to benefit you in each specific instance? I'm confused. Is it is that a bad thing? Am I am I reading this wrong? Did you take that as something negative, Nicole? I took it as that she wanted her granddaughter to identify with her blackness. That's what I took it as. And I took it that she felt a little bit taken aback because her granddaughter acts one way with one group of people, Caucasians, and another way with her black friends, but that she's looking like she's identifying mostly more more so with white people. And she's not living in her truth. So maybe her grandmother was a little bit offended, but again... That's not a reason to be offended, okay? She's showing that she is diverse in that. She can assimilate with this group and with this group, and she can identify and communicate with multiple different ethnicities. But I would be interested to know why Laverne is so particular about this, because she said that her granddaughter is blonde with green eyes. Unless she has some sort of, like, 4C hair, most people would make the assumption that she was white anyway. So maybe, maybe you do have a conversation with her. Maybe the conversation is, Hey, I'm just curious as to why you do this. Don't come to her in an accusatory way because maybe it's something that she's experienced before. I just feel like maybe your granddaughter has a very, she's thought this through and she has a reason for doing it. And honestly, Let's not really be too offended because as Nicole said, Creole is a mixed batch of people. You said that her mom is white, so she's more white than she is black. Let's make that a point as well. I don't know. I just feel like, Laverne, you said, are you overreacting? I feel like you might be. All right, Jenny. So what did you learn new this week? I learned that Ian Benjamin Rogers, who is a Napa Valley man, who was arrested shortly after the insurrection in connection with a plot to blow up the California Democratic headquarters was found when he was arrested. He was found to be in possession of five pipe bombs, 49 firearms, thousands of rounds of ammunition, and a white privilege card was in his wallet. You know, that does not surprise me because I told you the Trump people, listen, they have Trump on the card. This doesn't surprise me. So what I learned, Janine, speaking of the white privilege cards, is that you can buy a white privilege card. You can buy one card. You can buy a pack of cards, right? You can buy the black privilege cards the same way. But I learned that one single white privilege card on average costs $2.24. But the race card costs $2.25. So we still got taxed. <laughs> Even with a joke, on the race card, we still got taxed. It's still more expensive to carry the race card than the white privilege card. I feel like it's reflective of society. Are you ready for the motivational moment? Yes, ma'am. Let's do it. Award-winning journalist Rini Edo Lodge wrote in her blog entitled, Why I No Longer talk to white people about race, which is now a book. White privilege is an absence of consequences of racism, an absence of structural discrimination, an absence of your race being viewed as a problem first and foremost. So yes, it's there, but this privilege does not and has never negated black excellence. So move forward with confidence and self-love. 
Until we meet again, pray, work, slay, and show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep BWC. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.